today's scripture is from Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is a great privilege and honor to be here with you this morning uh, to share God's word, to encourage you. I've had a great time with the Soma family so far, some leaders on uh, Friday night, time with Pastor Paul, and uh, with a bunch of y'all yesterday, had a great time yesterday. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Porter. As uh, Paul mentioned, I pastor a church up in the Northwest. I also serve as the Northwest Regional Director uh, for the 6-4 Fellowship. I want to introduce you to my family here uh, real quick. So uh, as Paul said, my wife Kim and I, we've been married for 20 years, 20 years this last August. We have four kids. My oldest, James, he's in the green jacket there. Uh, he's not the tallest, but he is the strongest. And uh, he's 16. Then uh, his next younger brother, Titus, there he's in the black jacket in the back. He is the tallest, and he is the tallest in the family now. He just passed me in the last couple months. He is 15. And my daughter, McKenna, there, my beautiful Joy, she's 13, going to be 14 in March. And then my youngest son, Eli, 12, he got mama's genes, so he's a little on the shorter side. Uh, my wife is 5'2". She was an elite-level gymnast, and uh, Eli got uh, more of those genes. Uh, but he'll be all right. He'll be all right. Um, and so, yeah, I work with a ministry called Strategic Renewal, and there's, as Paul mentioned, there's a couple arms to that ministry. There's uh, what we call the 6-3 Discipleship and the 6-4 Fellowship. Uh, here, here's the way it goes. So the 6-4, the 6-3, six, 6-4, it, it comes from Acts chapter 6. If you know that story, you know that uh, here in the early church, there's, um, you've got the church in Jerusalem, you've got the apostles who are essentially the pastors of the church in that day, and there is a programmatic problem in the church. Some of the widows in the church are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so the church, uh, you know, they care about that. And so what do they do? What do you do when there's a problem in the church? You take it to the who? 
the pastor, right? And so they bring the problem to the, to the pastors, the apostles, and, and they say, here's the problem. And so here's my paraphrase. The apostles respond this way. They say, yes, that's a problem, and we do need to deal with that. We will deal with that, but here's what's going to happen. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to be the ones to address that. We're going we're gonna to appoint and train up some leaders in the church to operate that program because we are going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so in 6.3, you have uh, this appointment of, of some leaders in the church. You have this 6.3 discipleship, raising up people to do the work of the ministry. You have the apostles in 6.4 saying, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They are going to be men of prayer. They're going to lead the church to pray. They're going to preach the word. Uh, they understood that that was the most important work that they could do as the pastors and then train up the church to do the work of the ministry, which uh, elsewhere in scripture tells us that that's what the church is supposed to do. We're all supposed to be involved in the work of ministry. And here, here's the math in Acts, uh, six, four, Acts chapter 6. So 6-3 six, disciples plus 6-4 leaders equals a 6-7 awakening. And when you get to Acts 6-7, uh, here's what it says in Acts 6-7. It says that, that the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Even a great number of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. If you, if you know anything about the story in Acts so far, there's a couple other times where it talks about church growth. Uh, one of those uh, says that about 3,000 uh, were added to the church. That The total number in the church was about 3,000 after that day of Pentecost. And then a little while later, uh, there's 5,000 that were, that were now a part of the church. So added, there were 3,000 added, there were 5,000 added. Well, we get to Acts 6-7, and we're not adding anymore, we're multiplying. It says the number of disciples multiply greatly, so we don't even get a number. And it's not added, it's multiplying. And here's the amazing thing about it. Even those least likely to surrender to Jesus were doing it. Think about people you know and, and, and those that you would think, boy, if ever they came to know Jesus, I mean, that would be the absolute most miraculous, amazing thing ever. Could you imagine them coming to Jesus? Well, that's what was happening in that day. And why was that? We believe that because uh, the pastors and the church in that day understood what their primary responsibilities were and understood also that they needed to build up the church for the work of ministry. And when we get that right, the Holy Spirit is working powerfully then through a church that is fully obedient uh, to him. So that's the ministry we're about. We're reaching out to pastors uh, like Paul and pastors all over the place to, to encourage them to come back to these priorities of prayer and the word. We get very, very busy. There's all kinds of demands on us and, and uh, so many different ways in which we could spend our time. And all too often for us pastors, prayer goes by the wayside. Uh, uh, we don't give enough time to the word and that ends up impacting our preaching and the church suffers uh, from that. And so we need to be at our best with prayer in the word so that the church can be at their best growing in the word and growing uh, in the Lord to do the work of the ministry that God has called all of us to do for the advancement of the kingdom of God here. And so that's what, that's what we're about. And we spent yesterday talking about prayer and the importance of prayer and uh, specifically what we call worship-based prayer, the rediscovery of scripture-fed, spirit-led worship-based prayer. My challenge to you is that as you go forward here, whether it's in your own private prayer times, one-on-one -on -one with the Lord or as a family or in the times that you do have prayer together as a church where you have time set aside for that, that you would allow God to speak to you first 
And then you would pray in response to that, beginning with worship and then making your requests of the Lord. So we talked about that yesterday. We talked about uh, worship-based prayer, and that doesn't mean that we don't make our requests of God, but that we worship him first and foremost because he is worthy to be praised. So we want to worship him first, but we are going to make requests of God. And that's actually what I want to talk a little bit more about here this morning is the way in which we would pray and the way in which we would make our requests of God. So I have a question for you this morning, and I want you to think about this. If God answered your prayers from this past week, would the world change or just your world? If God answered your prayers from this last week, just think about some of the prayers you prayed this last week. If God answered those, would the world change or just your world? In other words, would God's answer to your prayers impact only you or would they impact not only you but maybe some others around you? Think about that for a moment. So much of our praying tends to be mostly request-based, and in those requests, so much of our praying tends to be very uh, me-focused, self-focused, you know, Lord, bless me, help me, 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 and it's it's not wrong. I mean, is it wrong to make those kinds of requests, Lord? Absolutely not. God invites us to make those requests. He wants us to make those requests. He promised to answer when we make those requests. So that's okay. It's not, it's not wrong. But what is your goal? What's the ultimate goal in what you are requesting of God? What is it that you want? What is it that you want to have happen? And, and is it only your own personal comfort? Or is it also the glory of God? in you and through you into the lives of other people. Today, I want to show you a a way to pray, especially in crisis, because crisis is one of those times in which uh, our our prayers, very naturally, uh, can become very self-focused. And again, it's not wrong, but maybe it's supposed to be more than just that. And so I want to show you a way in which the early church prayed uh, that I think is a way of prayer that that God loves to answer. How many of you want to pray prayers that God loves to answer, right? I want to pray prayers that God loves to answer. Uh, If if I'm going to take the time to pray, I want to pray in a way that God's going to say, yeah, let's do it, right? Well, there are ways that we can pray in which I think God loves to answer those prayers. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Acts chapter 4. And our main text will be Uh, verses 23 through 31. Now, let me set up the context here a little bit. In uh, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4 here, here's what's going on. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, uh, it says in verse 1, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. So, here's Peter and John. They are a couple of the apostles. They're a couple of the pastors in the church. Uh, It's interesting to note, like, they are purposefully going to a prayer time. Church, you need to let your pastor go to prayer times. You need to let him have that as a part of his schedule. He will be better for it. You will be better for it. Uh, so you need to make sure that he gets that time. Like we're going to do that over the next couple of days, but, but even on a, a daily basis, a weekly basis, he needs to be able to have that time. Peter and John, they're going to do that to participate in the prayers. On their way there, as they're, as they're approaching the temple there, there's a man who's about 40 years old, he's, he's lame, he can't walk, he's been lame from birth, never walked in his life, and he's there begging for money. 
And uh, the short of the story is he, he calls out to Peter and John, and Peter and John say, hey, we don't have any money, but here's what we do have. We know Jesus, and he's powerful, and so in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. <laughs> and this guy uh, gets up and walks. He starts walking. He starts leaping. The people around are, are amazed. They, 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 they can't believe what's happening. They've known this guy his entire life. They've known he's never walked. Now he's up and he's running around. He's leaping. He's jumping. He's having a great time. And people are wild. They're amazed by this. Peter and John are seeing all this. They're seeing the crowd come around. And so here's what it says in verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. How many of you know that this is true? Every time God does a mighty work in or through us, we are provided an opportunity to proclaim Jesus. Every time God does a work, whether it's a big work or a small work, every time God works in us or through us, it's an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Amen? It's an opportunity. They recognize that this is the opportunity. So they preach Jesus. And people are amazed, they're wowed by this, except for some of those ones that don't like Jesus, right? Some of the, some of the priests and the Pharisees and, and those that maybe some of the same ones that, that, that stirred up the crowd to crucify uh, Jesus. Uh, we're in Acts 4, we're not in Acts 6 yet, where it says some of them ended up surrendering to Jesus. So we're not there yet, right? We, we know that that's going to happen eventually, but right now, they're ticked off. They don't like what's going on. So they arrest Peter and John. They, they, they stop them. They confront them. They eventually arrest them. They put them in jail overnight. The next morning, uh, they interrogate them. And, uh, and this became another opportunity for uh, Peter and John to tell the good news about Jesus. In Acts 4, verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he goes on to explain the truth about Jesus to them. So uh, not only is it when God does a mighty work that that's an opportunity to proclaim Jesus, but also even hardships are opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So in the good times and the hard times, they are opportunities to point people to Jesus. And so after all of this, the, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders, they ultimately don't really know what to do with Peter and John. They recognize there's a huge crowd of people that are really excited about what had just happened through Peter and John, and so they don't feel like they can, you know, keep them in jail. They, they don't feel like they can do too much to them. So here's what they do. They threaten them. They say, hey, don't you dare tell people about Jesus anymore. And you know the, the famous verse uh, where, where they say salvation is found in no one else. And then verses 19 and 20, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. In verse 21, the council threatened them further, and then they let them go. All right, so, so Peter and John, they're, they're released, they're allowed to go, but they are threatened, they're commanded to quit preaching Jesus, they make this bold resolution, they're threatened some more, and finally, here's what happens, verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. So they, they come back to the church. Now, if you're in that band of brothers and sisters in that day, and Peter and John come back and they tell you what had just happened, what are you going to do? <laughs> Maybe go fight. Uh, 
But no, hopefully what you're gonna do is you're, you're, you're gonna pray, right? You're gonna pray and you're gonna thank God. God, thank you for rescuing Peter and John. Thank you for doing that, right? When, when God does an amazing thing, hopefully, anyway, we're, we're giving thanks. Maybe before we go fight, we're gonna give him thanks, okay? We wanna we want pray and give him thanks, all right? Well, what else might we pray for? Well, very naturally, after giving thanks, we would, we would probably say, and God, would you please protect us? Protect us from those who are threatening us. Protect us, Lord. Don't let them uh, follow through with those threats. Would you, would you uh, send them away or, or Lord, would you take us away? God, would you get us out of here and move us to Texas or Idaho or wherever? Can we get out of this place, right? All these blue state refugees leaving, right? You know, we pray for rescue, we pray for release. God, would you protect us, bless us, heal us, free us, whatever. And are those, are those wrong prayers? Absolutely not. But this band of brothers and sisters prayed a little bit different than that. Let's take a look at, at their prayer here. Their immediate response was prayer. Verse 24, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. So, so it's important that we, that we note that here, that, that first of all, prayer was the immediate response of the church. It was the immediate response to crisis. For many of us, prayer eventually is a response to crisis, but often not the first response to crisis, but maybe sometimes more of a second response or as a last resort because all of our other responses haven't worked out. Uh, we, we, we stress and we run around. We try to figure things out. We freak out. We have a saying in our family, don't freak out, figure it out, right? Don't, don't freak out, but let's turn to the Lord in prayer. And so they turn to the Lord in prayer. And here's how, here's how they begin their prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Notice, They haven't asked God for anything yet. They're praying, but they haven't asked God for anything yet. Let me pause here for a second. Let me just recap something real quick from yesterday. Yesterday, we spent a lot of time talking about worship-based prayer and a pattern that Jesus taught us to pray. And and here's how we can can simplify that pattern from from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer, right, the famous prayer. It's not, a, it's not a set of magical words, but rather a pattern that Jesus gives us that, that is when we pray, let's begin with worship and then let's make a request. The reason why we pray is because he is, need, he is worthy and we are needy. Say that with me. He is worthy, we are needy. And this is how the church begins, right? They begin with worship. They, they praise God. They worship God for who he is. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. God, this is who you are and we remember that and we worship you uh, for that. He is worthy. So let me note a couple things here. He is worthy. When God delivers you, praise him. Whatever that deliverance looks like, great or small, when God delivers you, when God comes through for you, praise him. Let that be the first thing that happens. And brothers and sisters, God is coming through for us every day, so many different ways, every day. All too often, we just blow through our day without really realizing it. And then a crisis eventually comes and we think, man, God, God, why don't you ever do anything for me? 
So let's pay attention even to the little things. When God comes through for you, <laughs> it sounds weird, but, you know, it's, it's one of the things I do. Like, sometimes I swear those traffic lights stay green longer than they normally do, and I get to go through it and say, hey, thanks, God. That's cool. You came through for me. You know, a petty little thing, but if we get into the habit, we start to realize, not things like that, but we start to realize other real ways in which God's coming through for us. When he does, when he delivers us, praise him. Here's another thing. When the threat of hardship remains, praise him. So as the church is praying here, oh, sovereign Lord, you are the maker of heaven and earth. We remember that. We praise you for that. Listen, the threat is still very real. Like if they speak Jesus anymore, which is what Jesus told them to do. I mean, talk about being in a catch-22. Jesus, the savior of the world, says, hey, tell everyone about me. And the world's saying, don't you dare. And so here they are, the threat remains, and yet they're worshiping. So even in hardship, even in the threat of hardship, praise him. And so that's what they do. They, they worship him, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it. And then they go on. So here's what we talked about yesterday. Scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer. Notice what, they, notice what they do. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. They quote scripture. They are guided in their praying by scripture. How did they know to pray, O sovereign Lord, maker of heaven and earth? O you God who are in control over them. How did they know that? Because they knew the word of God. And that, that from long ago, it said, why, do the, why are the nations angry? Why do they make plans against you? That is foolish. Because you are the one true God. They were informed, their prayers were informed by the word of God, or your prayers informed by the word of God. I urge you that as often as you sit down to pray, let God speak to you first. Let him show you who he is. Let him remind you how great and awesome and glorious he is, how much he loves you, and then respond in prayer. And yes, you have needs and you have in mind, oh man, here's the things I need to ask God for, but start by letting God show himself to you. Let him calm your soul with his presence and give him thanks and then make your requests of God. And so that's what they do. They, they worship, they, it's guided by scripture. Then they make their request to the Lord. And this is, what I, this is what I want us to look at very carefully, to look at the nature of their request. So check this out. In uh, verse 29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's not even, there's not even a request here of, of uh, God, would you get us out of here? Or God, would you kill them? You know, get them out of the way. But rather a, a prayer for, for boldness. The, their prayer was not one of personal comfort. It was one for more boldness for the gospel. It was one about the glory of God, the mission of God, the mission to proclaim the good news about Jesus to the rest of the world. Well, how, how, did they, how did they know to, to pray this way? Maybe you look at that and maybe you go, okay, all right, all right, pastor. You know, that's, 
that was that church. That was a unique moment. Let's not get carried away. I don't think God's really asking us to pray like that in a moment of crisis, is he, right? He really, really would more want us to pray like, God, would you get me out of here? Would you get me out of this crisis? But listen, they prayed that way because that's the way they were taught to pray. That's the way prayer was modeled for them. Jesus himself, we could summarize the way that Jesus prayed this way. Jesus always prayed for the glory of the Father and in complete submission to his will. His prayers always focused on the mission and the fruitful mission of his followers. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane. How did Jesus pray in a moment of crisis? A crisis far greater than you and I will ever understand where he was about to take the cross, where he was about to be forsaken by his own father. He was about to take on all of the guilt and shame of the entire world upon himself in the most horrific way to die. And how does he pray there? He does say, oh, Lord, I'd rather we not have to do this, but not my will, but what? Yours be done. And he, and he continued through. Always prayed for the mission. Always prayed for the glory of God. Paul, who would come later after this, his prayers were also very similar, the way that Paul requested prayer. All of Paul's prayers, prayer requests focused on his desire to accomplish his mission by boldly and enduringly proclaiming the gospel so that Christ might be magnified in and through him in life or in death. And you may remember in Philippians chapter 1, there, there Paul says, uh, I would much rather depart and be with Christ. But I know that he's got me here for now. And so to live is Christ, to die is gain. One day I will be set free. One day he will get me out of here. But until then, my life is for his glory. And that's the way that Paul prayed regularly, praying for the mission. It was mission oriented. So I like to say this is scripture fed, spirit led, worship based, and mission oriented, mission driven, praying. That's the way that, that they were taught to pray. That's the way the church prayed here. So we talked about this yesterday. For some of us, we've seen this before, but for those of you who weren't here yesterday, how do our prayers compare to the prayers of uh, the early church here and Jesus and Paul? Well, perhaps maybe a little bit different. Now, as you look at this, this is not to say that any of those particular ways of praying are wrong. Please do not hear me say that. Uh, we are invited to pray in all of these different ways. And when, when we have events, when we're, when we're getting ready for a church service, to pray for that event, pray for that happening, that, that it'd be a great time together. When, when you're getting together with people, pray for that, you know? Um, when, when you have, uh, we have servicemen and women all over the place, pray for them. Pray for the sick. We're, we're told to pray for the sick and to bring them to the elders and have them pray over them because the, those prayers are powerful and there can be healing. We are to pray for our nation and our politics Right? We, we are to pray for our enemies, but what about the mission? What about lost people? Because that's what Jesus' prayers really focused on. That's what Paul's prayers really focused on. That's what the early church here in a moment of crisis is most concerned about. And what about us? All these ways are good ways to pray, but you'll notice that really very little is devoted to the mission of God and lost people. I've heard it said before, 
we spend more time praying sick Christians out of heaven than we do lost people out of hell. We spend more time praying, oh God, don't take them yet. Even though if they did go, they're all right for the rest of eternity and we'll see them again. And we don't spend near as much time praying, oh God, would you get them out of hell? We need to pray for each other. It's okay to pray for each other. It's okay to pray for that healing that we'd have more time on here to shine for the glory of Jesus. Please pray that way. But even as you do, pray for the lost. Pray, take that prayer, elevate that prayer one step further and say, God, would you heal this brother or sister? Lord, that they would be able to continue to have time here on earth to glorify you so that those around them, so that their family, their friends, their coworkers, those around would be able to see you. They'd see this miracle and they would say, wow, how does this happen? And we could say, it's you, Jesus. Take that prayer to the next level to pray for lost people. We spend more time praying sick Christians out of heaven than we do lost people out of hell. When it comes to crisis, we, we tend to spend more time praying for personal relief than for personal renewal and the glory of God. When you pray, and especially in a moment of crisis, what is the nature of your prayer? Oh God, would you take this pain away? Or is it more of, God, I would love for you to take this pain away, but, I, but most of all, would you make me more like Jesus? Would you give me more patience, more humility, more faith? Would you draw me closer to you? Would you let me experience you in this? Paul, interestingly, you know, Paul, he, he said, what a great honor to suffer. Because as I suffer, I'm getting to experience Jesus I'm going to experience more of what Jesus went through, and I'm, I'm getting to be that close to him in this. Listen, healing is important. Jesus wants to heal, but there's the spiritual part of that that matters most, and that we're becoming more and more like him. I've learned to pray this way, and, and a, another pastor friend of mine, one of our national leaders in the Six Four Fellowship, he, he put it this way, his wife is is dying from stage four cancer. There are no cures. It's, it, eventually, she is going to die, barring a, a miracle. And it's been this long road. She's actually lived longer than she was supposed to, but she's still going down. And I asked him one time, I said, how do you pray? How do you, how do you pray in that? And he said, well, I, I, I pray this way. There's two ways, two parts of this prayer. He says, one, I pray for a full and complete healing because I know that Jesus can do that. So I pray for a full and complete healing. And he goes, and then I pray this. I pray that God would sanctify the suffering. In other words, that in the suffering, she would become more like Jesus. In the suffering, I would become more like Jesus. Through the suffering, others would become more like Jesus. Through the suffering, others would even have the opportunity to know Jesus. What a great miracle that would be. And we know if it's not in this life that she is healed, we know that soon and very soon she is going to be healed. And see, that's the promise. That's the hope that we have. We will be healed. It just might not be right here, right now, but we will. But what about those around us who are sick and dying spiritually without Jesus? That has got to matter to us. That has got to become a higher priority. That has got to become what's most important to us. I think because that's why we're here. If, if that's not why we're here, then why don't we just go home? 
but we're still here because there are still people out there that need to know the truth about Jesus. I love this, verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Spirit, and then they preached the Word of God with boldness. I titled this Prayers God Loves to Answer. God answered this prayer. You ever had one of those moments where you've been in prayer? Maybe, maybe the house didn't shake, but it, you were certain that the Holy Spirit was there, not only dwelling in you as he always is, but there, there was just a unique manifestation of the presence of God there in that moment. And that's an indication of the Lord's pleasure with their prayer. And what did they pray for? They prayed for boldness. And what happened? They preached the word of God with what? Am I the only one looking? They preached the word of God with boldness. That prayer was answered. It was answered. So, Whenever I preach, my church knows this, I always ask the question, so what? Turn to your neighbor and say, so what? So what? Here's why I ask that question. Because in James, it says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. If you leave here today, if you leave here on any Sunday and you walk out there and you don't give another thought to what was preached here, you get up from your quiet times of the Lord and you don't give another thought, then what was the point? So what? But if we ask the question, so what? Okay, so what does this mean? For my life, what are we supposed to do with this? Let me encourage you with these three things. Number one, make prayer your first response in times of both triumph and in times of trouble. Make it your first response. When God comes through, praise him. When you find yourself in a hard moment, praise him. And then pray and make your request of God. So, Make, your, make prayer the first response, and when you do, begin your prayers with worship. He is worthy, we are needy. Start with worship. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge ways that he's come through. You need him to come through right now? First, recognize how he has come through for you before. Here's why. Because it changes the nature of our request. It, it better informs us as we make our requests of God. It emboldens us as we make our requests of God. If you're, if you're in a desperate situation right now and you need God to come through for you in a real powerful way, how powerful would it be to first give some thought to like, well, God, you did that before. You can read God's word and say, man, he did that before. And then you think about your life and you go, man, he did that before. So, oh man, God, I know you can do it again. It changes the way in which we make our requests of God. And then number three, make requests that are aimed at the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. And brothers and sisters, when we pray this way, we are praying in a way that God loves to answer. God loves to come through. And you will get to experience God working in you and through you in some very powerful ways we read about the church in Acts and we read about some amazing things. We read about the supernatural gospel impact. It may or may not be that God's gonna reach 3,000 people through Soma Church Community. It may or may not be that God's gonna reach 5,000 people through Soma Church Community. But 
I promise you, what God does want to do is he wants to multiply the number of disciples through Soma Church community. We'll let him take care of whatever those numbers are, but I guarantee you he wants to reach people through you, through this church. And I guarantee you it's bigger, more dynamic, more supernatural than maybe you've ever thought before. But you've got to have the faith to go there with him. And you've got to care most about the mission of God and be praying that mission of God. And he can and he will do great things through you. Do you believe it? Amen. Do you know this to be true? Do you want this Amen. to be true? Well, I believe that one of the best ways to begin to apply God's word is to pray it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time responding to the Lord in prayer here. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come on up and just uh, play in the background for us here. And we're going we're gonna to respond in two ways. He is worthy. We are needy. We're not going to ask God for anything yet. We're just simply going to praise him. And so, and so uh, I want to I invite you to stand. Let's, let's stand as we do this. And uh, in, in the first way, I'm just going to invite you to, to shout this out to the Lord. He is worthy. So, so here's a prayer prompt. You can use this prayer prompt. And just all you're going to do is add on to this a word or maybe a, a very short phrase. I don't want you to go more than one short phrase, just short prayers so that all of us get to participate. God, you rule over what? And then someone else can pray that. God, you rule over. And let's just, let's just declare the sovereign rule of God in our lives and in our world. So let's start here. God, you rule over. And just shout it out. Make sure it's loud enough that all of us in here can hear that. All right? God, you rule over me. Who else? Yes. Yes. Yes, just as the early church recognized the sovereignty of God oh sovereign God that's what we're doing right now God you rule over what else yes shout it out we can all hear it yes yes God you rule over our governments Yes, over our trauma. That's right. God, you rule over all that would cause anxiety in me. you're in a moment of crisis right now or 
great or small. And just like the early church, you can say, God, you are sovereign. Even over this, you are sovereign. What is that? Yes, you do. Thank you, Jesus. take this a step further yes God rules and he's also promised he's made so many promises in in his word and as you think about your life right now what are the promises that you need to cling to so here's a prompt for you Lord I trust your promise to what the early church remembered the word of the Lord that he had said you know what the nations they'll rise up but they're not going to win and what's rising up in your life right now and you can you can speak the promise of God. Lord, I trust your promise to what? Lord, I trust your promise to fill me with peace when I fix my eyes on you. What promises has God made that you need to say, yeah, I'm gonna trust that one today. I trust your promise that you're continuing a good work in me. You're faithful to bring it to completion. Lord, I trust your promise as I raise my kids that that you have their hearts. And Jesus, you said that you're not willing to lose one that the Father has given to you. God is worthy to be praised. We also are needy. I'd like you to uh, get into small groups, three, four, five people or so. Uh, just you can turn to someone next to you, someone in front of you, behind you. I'd like you to get into small groups. And we are needy, but remember, first and foremost, we are needy of boldness to proclaim Jesus. And so let's pray that. Let's pray that. Here's a response for you. Lord, help me to boldly and clearly share Jesus with, and then I want you to speak that name. 
Let's lay these names before the Lord and asking him for boldness, for clarity and sharing Jesus with them. Let's take a couple minutes to do that. Lord, help me to boldly and clearly share Jesus with who are the one or two second part of their prayer there and let's pray this they prayed stretch out your hand with healing power may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy spirit servant jesus so let's pray this here's the prompt on the screen god show your mighty works too and this could be a non-believer this could be a, a fellow believer this could be a brother or sister you could pray this over the church you could pray it over someone in your group who you know what they're going through lord show your mighty works too now i want you to notice something on the screen in, in italics down the bottom. Glorify your name, O Lord. Can we say that together? Glorify your name, O Lord. Now let's say that like we mean it, like we really want it to happen, all right? Glorify your name, O Lord. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Each time one person in your group prays that prayer, God, show your mighty works too. When that prayer is done, every single time, when someone prays that prayer, everyone in your group shouted out. So all of us in here hear it. So maybe people out on the street hear it. God, glorify your name, O Lord. So one person prays, everyone in your group shouts out, glorify your name, O Lord. Another person prays, the whole group shouts out, glorify your name. Different groups are gonna shout it out at different times and that's okay. Let's pray, Lord, show your mighty works too. Let's pray for those mighty works, those miraculous things. Shout that out. Glorify your name, O Lord.
started out like you really want it to happen. Sonoma County, you rule over Santa Rosa, you rule over California, you rule over all government and authority here, you rule over all powers, you rule over all, and you rule over Soma Church community. Lord, I trust your promise to your church and to this church family that you have built your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I trust your promise that you will work powerfully through my brothers and sisters here. I trust your promise that you hear from heaven when we call upon your name and you answer when we call. Lord, help Soma Church community to boldly and clearly share Jesus with Santa Rosa family, friends, and all around here. And God, as they do, would you show your mighty works to transform, show your mighty works to heal, show your mighty works to raise up the brokenhearted, show your mighty works to set the captives free, show your mighty works, O Lord. And we all say, glorify your name, O Lord. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Can we praise the Lord today?